Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, grab your Bibles. We are in Nehemiah. Nehemiah 5. And before I go on, I do want to mention that I appreciate Randy um, stepping up while I was gone to kind of control everything in a sense. And then Mark last week uh, taking the service as many of us were, were off camping. I, I really do appreciate having those around that are, are willing to do that and able to do that. So thank you very much on that. But as we are we're going through this study about Nehemiah, it's really a book about leadership. It was written 2,500 years ago, and, and really was kind of this, this man's journal about what, you know, what he'd been doing, uh, and uh, I'm sure he had other people probably write it down for him as he was a very busy guy, but it was about his challenges in life and, and how he really handled those challenges, and, and we all find ourselves in those situations where we're sitting there going, man, I, I handled that one pretty well. I'm kind of surprised, and then other times we're sitting there going, oh man, I wish I would have handled this differently. Well, Nehemiah, is, is he'd walked with the Lord many years. He'd learned how to handle certain things. And again, he wasn't perfect, but he always went to the Lord. And this is what the Lord did for him and, and for the Israelites at that time. And we pulled, you know, 30-some-odd principles of leadership from this text already. So let's jump into it. Nehemiah 5, 14 is where we're going to start today. It says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, that's 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence to God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on, the, on this wall. All my men were assembled there for, for, the, for the work, and we did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us surround, from the surrounding nations. Each day an ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all of this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, O oh, oh my God, for I have done uh, for all I have done for these people. 
Now, you might remember as we've gone through this, Nehemiah had been appointed by the king of Persia to go back to Israel, which was really in shambles. It was kind of a, a town that was kind of a has-been town. The wall was uh, not protecting them anymore. There was holes in the walls. The gates had been basically blown through and burned down. And, and so Nehemiah was appointed to go back and rebuild this wall, and he started to do just that. He gathered the people. He put together a plan. Man, this guy was talking about administration. This guy could do it all. This guy got all the people together. And everything was processing, you know, going just fine, progressing just fine. Chapters 1 through 4. Now, their neighbors were not very happy about this. They surrounded, you know, they were surrounded by people who opposed them. Those people who, who really hated the Jews and did not want peace whatsoever with the Jews. Very much like today, you go over to Israel, you, you start to understand, you, you go and you, you stand on a border and you look over into Jordan, you look over into Syria, you look over into other places and, and they can point out burned out tanks and sitting there going, well this is where the attack started in 1967 and you're standing there and you're like going, wow, I mean it's just right there, it's absolutely right there, it's the same thing. Back then they were surrounding the city of of Jerusalem and literally outside the wall, the people right there that did not want them. But they were successful in getting the job done despite these attacks. But then in our last study, we started to see something very different. Things came to to almost a halt. And we we had to ask why. And and ultimately the, the answer was the people just could not get along with each other. We're not talking about attacks from outside the church, outside of of Israel. We're talking about the Israelites not getting along. This is like the church is not getting along. The attack was from the inside. And the devil just sets back on the sideline and says, well, hey, I I get to sit here and enjoy this. I don't even have to work at it. They're just tearing each other apart. And that was what was happening. He doesn't need to attack when we become each other's enemies. Nehemiah figured out what was happening. And the poor Jews were being taken advantage of by the wealthier Jews. And we talked a little bit about politics, and, and especially right now in this heavy political time, and, and rich versus poor, and all these things. And we really said we need to take politics out of this picture. Because what we're talking about is church people, Israelites, taking advantage of other Israelites. So it's within the family. So it's not about liberal or, or Republican. It's not about, you know, Democrat and all that. It, it, we're talking about family here. These were church people taking advantage of church people. Nehemiah got very upset about this because the wealthier Jews were the ones in charge of rebuilding the wall. How can you have the guys in charge of rebuilding the wall taking advantage of the other people? Uh, what would you do? You'd stop working. You'd be like, well, forget you. I'm not going to help out. I'm not going to be involved in that. You're taking advantage of me. And we read this in in chapter 5, verse 8. And and Nehemiah went to them and and corrected them. And they said, we're sorry. And they changed their ways. And you have a leader who is not afraid to say, enough is enough. This is like a parent that says to their child, no, not right now. You know, we're having to to learn when no really means no and when we're just kind of joking around. And with Brandon, there's times with that tone when I say no, he will stop doing what I tell him, or stop doing what he's doing, because he hears by the tone. Leadership needs to say no sometimes. This is a boss who says, enough is enough. You guys, you, you can't operate like that in this company anymore. You can't do those things. 
It's not popular at the time, but it's much better for the organization, much better for the classroom, much better for your job in the long run when you say, this is how it's going to be. Now we find Nehemiah. He's appointed governor of the whole region. He comes just to rebuild the wall and finds himself being appointed governor of the region. And he served for, for 12 years, 444 B.C. to 432 B.C. Now during these 12 years, he did not eat out of the official provisions. Now why did he do this? Well, it was out of the fear of God. It says so right there. The governor had a right to tax the people. Remember when God said, do you really want a king? You know, the king is going to take this much of your provisions. The king is going to take, you know, your firstborn to to serve in the army. The king's going to do this. The king's going to do that. And Israel said, yeah, we want a king. And God said, what? Okay, fine. We'll let you have a king. This is what we're talking about here. The governor had every right to tax the people to be able to live. But he chose not to do it. And he didn't allow those within his administration to do it either. He paid for all of this out of his pocket. But it wasn't just him. And in verse 17, it says, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. This is a huge expense. Have you ever tried to feed 150 people? Yeah. Think about it. Think about just the prep work. Think about paying the people in the kitchen to be able to even prep the food, much less the food cost. 150 people every day. He basically says, I am sacrificing here, guys. I will not take advantage of you because we are brothers. He is a leader who loved God and loved the people. Now that's good leadership. Wouldn't you love a a government like that? Whether it was conservative or liberal? Wouldn't you love a government that was for the people? Man, Wouldn't you love a company who thought this way? Nehemiah cared about those under his authority. He knew that if he cared for, if he cared for them, the reward would come from God. And in verse 16, it says, Instead, I devoted myself to the work uh, on this wall. All the men were assembled there for the work. What is he saying there? Me and my administration. We got off our hind ends when we could have been in there taxing you guys. We could have been doing nothing, but we got out there and we worked along beside you working and and preparing this wall. Not just when the TV cameras came out or for the photo, photo op. He was saying, I was there every day leading by example. And this is the 38th principle that we see. Effective leaders serve, whether it's in your home whether it's down at your office, whether you're the boss, or whether you're an underling. Wherever it is, effective leaders serve. If you want to be an effective person, if you want to be an effective leader, then you have to do that in your family. You have to do that in your organization. You have to serve those around you. It is that important. He goes on, he says, we did not acquire any land. Now what is he talking about here? Well, the governors oftentimes came in and they would buy land, whether through eminent domain or foreclosure or however they got it, they would take that land. 
But he didn't do that. He didn't say, let me come in and take your land. Instead, he encouraged them to give their land back to the rightful owners. And we talked about that in the last study about the year of Jubilee and, and giving back to the families. Uh, God set it up for where, where so many years that, that all the land would go back to the rightful families. That way, everybody in Israel would be able to, to start on an even kill in a sense. Then in verse 19, it says, a very, he, he says a very private prayer here to God. Remember me with favor, O my God, for all I've done for these people. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. And this is what I love about God. He's totally okay with us saying, Lord, my motives are pure, so reward me later. God can handle that. For some reason, we think God can't handle conversations with him. We go to God. I mean, here, Nehemiah is doing a great work, and he's going, okay, God, now you're, you're going to reward me later, right? He didn't say, he didn't demand it. He just said, hey, just remember me later. His, he's got a long-term thinking here. It's not instant gratification. He just says, remember me later. He doesn't get specific. Uh, specific. Okay, God, I want you to remember me by buying me this type of car. I want you to remember me by giving me this size of house. I want you to remember me by giving me a great retirement. No, he just says, Lord, remember me later. This seems very Old Testament, right? Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 says, Do you know that in a race all, runner, uh, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that, as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. It's that long-term thinking. He also says in Philippians 3, not that I have already attained, uh, obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Long-term thinking. In 1 Corinthians, he says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges, uh, judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. So let me ask you a question. Are you willing to work for God and not receive the praise of man and only get that from God? No one appreciates you. No one gives you the pat on the back. Are you willing to work knowing that God is going to reward you? See, I think this is very important because usually what do we do? We do one little thing, and we're like jumping up and down. Everybody notice me. Hey, hey, well, notice me. You're not noticing me. Well, well, come on, guys. Notice me. 
That's how we, I mean, at least we say that on the inside. Our actions may not be up and waving our hands, but that's how we feel, don't we? You know, I was kind of reminded this, um, I, somebody had, uh, from my past had sent my wife an email and, and, and said something, and, and it was like right after I typed this in the computer, and I'm not even thinking as I'm doing my sermon. I mean, I'm thinking as I'm doing my sermon, but uh, th- then my, I got distracted doing something, and my wife goes, I just got this email. You, you need to read this. And I'm thinking, oh, I shouldn't read this. I'm working on my sermon. But, of course, I, I read it. And it was, it was kind of a, a negative email, and it was one of those things, well, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. And I, and I was like, but wait a second, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. Did you not, I mean, I'm thinking in my head, did you not notice all this? And God's sitting there going, it's not so easy, is it, Alan? It's not so easy to do these things and then only be recognized by God. And people even say, hey, you didn't do these things. We have to get over that stuff, and we will succeed as a leader when we get past the praise and approval of man, and we do it for the Lord. Remember, this text is about leadership, not on, uh, not on you know, how to lead so we can be rich, not on how to, how to lead so we can be praised. This is about how do we lead as God would want us to lead in this life. That's how it is. Simple prayer that says, Lord, remember me. Some of our reward will be here on earth. And when we get that reward here on earth, man, it's exciting when we see the the reaction of people as we serve and and, and great things happen. But some of our reward will come later on because man just either ignores it or doesn't see it or doesn't appreciate it, and God says, don't worry, I'll take care of you. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6.10. He says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continued to help him. I love that. That we've shown God because we've helped his people. Think about that. We're showing God love by helping people. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And this is principle number 39. Effective leaders ultimately look to God for their reward. That's what effective leaders do. Let's jump into chapter 6. Chapter 6, it says, When the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of the enemies, and these are the guys that are literally surrounding the city, that, the, that I had rebuilt the walls and not a gap was left in it, Though up to that time I had not set the doors to the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent, the, the, sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop where, while I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then, the fifth time, Sembalat sent his aid, with, uh, aid to me with, a, with the same message, and in his hands was an unsealed letter which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. I saw it on the internet, so it must be true. 
that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you're rebuilt, or you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become king, their king, and, and even have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So, so come, let us, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like, uh, like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head or out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. Now this is like our term, shaking in their boots. Oh, they're shaking in their boots. They can't work anymore. They're so scared. And it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Now, Nehemiah's enemies are, are, are at work again. They're opposed to this work. They're opposed to this project. Now they oppose the people. First it was a project. They threatened to attack. Now they're going to try to take out the quarterback. They're going to try to take you know, the head off the snake, as, as it were. They're going for the leader. They're trying to get him out to the plain of Ono, which, which the name in itself ought to give you the first clue. You know, oh no, oh no. When Sembalat, Tobiah, and his buddies figured out that, that they were outmaneuvered, outfoxed, and, and, you know, outworked and outwitted by Nehemiah and his people, they just said, well, let's attack him personally. Now, remember the strategy the enemy had in the past. And the same thing goes for the enemy today. When you're attacked, think about this. In chapter 2, Sembalat was, was, you know, deeply disturbed. Rebuild the wall, whatever. They laughed and they despised the people. They questioned their motives. Then in chapter 4, we see that during the success of building the wall, opposition arises, and he mocks them. Oh, this wall, this, this wall, this little, little puny little wall, it's going to fall down. If a fox got on top of it, it would fall down. He kind of mocked them, criticizing the project. He went from laughing at them to criticizing, tearing down the people like a family who tears down each other all the time. Parents always, you know, teaching the child, really what they're doing is, you're doing it all wrong. You're doing it all wrong. You're not doing it my way, so therefore it's wrong. You know, you see this in, in different families where, where you're just correcting the young ones, but it's all about doing it your way. Now, there's time for instruction within family. Believe me, don't, don't get me wrong. But we have to be careful on how that you know, instruction comes across. Now, Nehemiah, he's a, you know, every time he is opposed, what happens? He prays. Every time he prays. It's a good thing to learn. You know, God never gets tired of our prayers, no matter how dumb we think they are. No matter how dumb we think they may sound. He doesn't get tired of it. He's not like a parent who just wants peace and quiet. You know, ever so often my dad would be like, you, you guys need to be quiet. And it was all about, he, it, you know, four boys at home. We were kind of rambunctious. He's just like, I just need a little peace and quiet. Will you just be quiet? God's not like that with us. He wants us to talk to him. He never gets tired of us asking for help. God gave Israelites manna every day that spoiled that night. Why? So he could walk out and, or so we could walk out and say, wow, God provided for me again today. He wants us to ask for help. He gave them a cloud by day and a fire by night instead of a map. Man, GPS would have been great. 
Instead of wandering around the, you know, the, the desert, just, okay, what coordinates do we got to go to today? No, they had a cloud by night, I mean day, day, and a fire by night that they followed. Why? So God could say, or they could walk out and say to God, what are we doing today? What are we doing today, Lord? What is really sad is when we get this mindset of, I am a mature Christian now. Have you ever thought this? Well, I don't want to bother God with this because, I mean, this is so small. This is, I can handle this. I'm mature. I don't need to go to God for everything. You know, God helps those that help themselves. I know that's in the Bible somewhere, isn't it? God wants us to be fully and totally dependent on Him. This is how we know we are growing. When we finally say, nothing of me and all of you, God, nothing of me. God, I'm really going to need your help on this thing today. And we just start to pray about it. This is what Nehemiah did. This is what Nehemiah did in his life continually. But see, the enemy doesn't go away. Remember chapter 4, verse 7. They started threatening physical attack on Jerusalem and trying to confuse everyone. How did Nehemiah respond? First he prayed, and then he got a plan together. Then chapter 5, God's people started to fight, and the devil took a break for a period of time, and finally Nehemiah resolves that. But then we get back to chapter 6. It says, When the word came to Samballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and the wall was like almost done. They just had to set the gates, that's it. And not a gap was left in it. Samballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, the plain of Ono is literally 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It's toward the Samaritans. So, so you think of New Testament, and Jesus tells a story about the Good Samaritan and so forth. That's the area we're talking about. They're basically saying, hey, come, come outside of your protection. Get away from all those people that support you. Get away from all those people that are going to back you up, come to your defense. Come out here. We, we just want to talk. Just, just good, you know, good talk. We're buddies. That wall, you're, you're doing a great job on that. We really like it. I, I know you've heard different, but, but we really do like it. I don't know why, but you're just doing a great job. I mean, come on now. Come on out before you get those gates done. Just a little chat. Well, Nehemiah sees totally right through this. And he says, but, while, but they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? What are you thinking, guys? I can't mess around here. I can't stop this project. I have to work. Stop distracting me. Now, how many times did they try this? It says four. And then what does the enemy do? do? He just keeps bugging you and bugging you and bugging you. I said no yesterday. No, I said no. But this, but, but you know, hey, this, this is a new lustful thought. That was an old lustful thought. And we have to say no again. And then the enemy goes, oh, but, but by the way, what about this lustful thought? just keeps coming after us four times and then finally the fifth letter now what are they doing here they're trying to distract him to hurt him 
Distraction is a very common tactic of our enemy. It's a very common tactic of, uh, of the devil. If we can get the leader off the job at the very last moment, the project is almost over with. Distraction. You're almost there. Distraction. See, the key of the Christian life is this. Do the last thing the Lord has asked you to do. Do the last thing that, 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 you know, that the Lord has asked you to do. And don't stop until he tells you to stop. See, faithfulness is not always fun, is it? No, it's not. Why do you think so many marriages fall apart? Well, we get tired of being faithful, which is, you're, you're sitting there going, come on, that was the whole reason why you got married, so you could be faithful. It's not always fun. But it's the key to the Christian life. Once we figure out what God wants us to do in life, the only thing left for the enemy to do is to distract us. We have to stay away from the plane of Ono. Don't go there. Don't even, don't even think about it. Leaders finish what they start. Jesus was the same way. He finished what he started. And thank God he did. Because we wouldn't be able to go, go into heaven blameless. We wouldn't be able to, to go to God and say, look at me. Because we would be, you know, cowering. We would be going away from God. But because he completed it, we can go to God pure. Because our sins are covered. Because he finished it. Number 40 is effective leaders stay focused and finish what they start. I'm doing a great work, Nehemiah says. And this is how Nehemiah did this. He disciplined himself and he convinced himself that the wall of Jerusalem was the greatest possible thing to work on. I can't go to the plain of Ono, guys. I've got work to do. I've got to stay here. I've got this project. I can't go right now. I'm parenting this child right now. What I'm doing is a great thing. I'm doing a great work. I, I teach these children the Bible. I'm doing a great work. I'm, I'm with these people every day, and I get to show them God's love on a daily basis through me. You know what most of this is about? Attitude. It really is. You know the old saying, attitude is everything? Well, in the Christian life, attitude is everything. I can't come do something. Why? Because I got great thing happening right here. Now, see, my wife, she's a very gifted person. I'm amazed at all the things that she can do. From working with the corporate world and getting along in the corporate world, their division has been together so long, they all get together and they have fun. I mean, it's great. To teaching kids in Sunday school, to running PowerPoint, she's got a master's degree in engineering. She's got a great creative mind. She can do things on the computer. I'm sitting there going, well, if you just tweak this, and she just does it. And scrapbooking to, to putting up with me, I mean, that's a, that's a gift in itself. I'm amazed at all the things that she can do. But right now, you know what her focus is on? It's not so much the computer. It's not so much her job. It's not so much the corporate world. It's raising her child. He's almost 24 months old, and believe me, he's, he's active. But that's what our focus on. Why? Because that's the job the Lord has given her right now. And me, I'm just, but I'm just focusing on her. Her main focus is raising that child. Get excited about what God has called you to do, no matter what it is. 
whether you're starting off your, 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 your first job in life or whether you're sitting there ready for retirement. Get excited about where God has you and what He has called you to do. Don't do anything else until that job is done. Too often we get bored with God's work and we decide it's not a great work anymore. Then we start to look for greener passages. You know what? You'll always find a greener passage. You always will. Remember Jonah? Well, if I just go down to the docks, if there's a boat there that's going to, to Tarshish, of, of all places, way over there, then I'll get on it. God allowed a boat to be there going to Tarshish. There's always greener passages. If Nehemiah would have been distracted by the plains of Ono, it would have led to his destruction. You need to pray, Lord, don't let me get distracted. So four times they invite him, and then the fifth time they send this open letter. And it says, it was reported to, you know, among the nations. In other words, we pulled this off the internet. It's a great rumor. Why an open letter? Well, first of all, it's like an insult. It'd be like another nation sending President Obama a letter through the New York Times. Everybody can read it. It's not supposed to be done like that. Supposed to be sealed. I mean, they had certain protocol where it was sealed once and sealed twice and then put in a certain case and then it would be taken to the governors. That's how things were done. They're starting a rumor and they're starting to slander him. They're trying to get him to focus on them. Well, I guess I got to deal with these guys now. Look what they did. I guess I got to go out there and, and, and talk with them. They're trying to get his focus off the job that God has given him. And what is Nehemiah's response? says in verse 8, I sent, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will be too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen our hands. Strengthen our hands. He denies it. He prays about it, and then he moves on. Now, if the rumor had been true, then he can't deny it, because that would be lying. If the rumor had been true, he would have to deal with it. But because it's false, he doesn't give it the time of day. I think too often we waste so much energy on false things. Well, I've got to go take care of this. No, I can't let them say that. And we spend all our time and energy distracted from what we're supposed to be doing. Don't try running around to defend yourself. It's a waste of time. You know, I've once heard that if we take care of our, our character, then God will take care of our reputation. If we take care of our character, God will take care of our reputation. You know, you can't establish your own nickname. You know, it's like picking, I mean, I said that wrong. You can't establish your own reputation. It's like picking your own nickname. You know, you can't, you can't go around, oh, call me this, this is my nickname, and they all laugh at you and go, no, 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 let me tell you your nickname. You can't do that. It doesn't work. If we take care of our character, God will take care of our reputation. We need to just be faithful. We need to do good. We need to trust the Lord and continue the work that He has for you. Now, if you haven't figured out what that work is, start praying to God, saying, God, what, what, what am I supposed to be doing? What do you have me doing? 
Is it serving in the church? Is it serving outside the church? Is it, is it this type of job or that type of job? You know, I think too often we focus on, well, I'm supposed to do this in life. And God's going, no, you're supposed to be a Christian in life. You're supposed to follow my ways in life. You may take this job, that job, or that job. I don't care which job you take. But I want you to be this type of person in life. That's what we need to focus on. How does God want us to be in this life? And what does God want us to do in this life for Him? Not just to do, but do for Him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you help us learn how to focus. That you start to teach us Nehemiah's ways of praying first before we go out and do something or how we respond or what do we do. That when you give us a project that we see it through, when you give us a a thing to do in life, a role in life, whether it's a job, whether it's raising family, whether it's the boss or the underling or, or whatever it is, Lord, that if we focus on you, then all those things will fall into place instead of focusing on the things of this world. I pray, Lord, that when the enemy attacks, we recognize that attack and we pray about it and we continue to do what you have us to do in this life. And ultimately, that is following you and living by your commands. Loving people how you would love them. And ultimately, having a relationship with you that is beyond anything else in this life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he give you favor in this life as you do his work. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.